These are some verses from the second book of Samuel, chapter 18. David mustered the men who were with him and appointed over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent out his troops, a third under the command of Job, a third under the Job's brother Abishad, son of Zuriah, and a third under the Gittite. The king told the troops, I myself will surely march out with you. The king commanded Job, Abishai, and the Ittite, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There Israel troops were routed by David's men, and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread over all the world, the whole countryside, and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. Now, Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under the thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in the tree. He was left hanging in midair, while the mule he was riding kept on going. When one of the men saw what had happened, he told Job, I just saw Absalom hanging in an oak tree. Job said to the men who had told him this, What? You saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground right there? Then I would have to give you ten shuttles of silver and a warrior's belt. But the men replied, Even if a thousand shuttles were weighed out into my hands, I would not lay a hand on the king's son. In our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and Ittai, protect the young man Absalom for my sake. And if I had put my life in jeopardy and nothing is hidden from the king, you would have kept your distance from me. Job said, I'm not going to wait like this for you. So he took three javelins in his hand and plunged them into Absalom's heart, while Absalom was still alive in the oak tree. And ten of Job's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Then Job surrounded the sounded the trumpet, and the troops stopped pursuing Israel, for Job halted them. They took Absalom, threw him into a big pit in the forest, and piled up a large heap of rocks over him. Meanwhile, all the Israelites fled to their homes. 
Then Job said to Akushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed down before Job and ran off. Then the Cushite arrived and said, My lord, the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you today by delivering you from the hand of all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, Is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, May the enemies of my lord the king and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, O my son, Absalom, my son, my son, Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. Amen. Thank you so much, Sarah, for reading that with such passion. It's an incredibly passionate story. And uh, as you might have been able to tell, quite a few verses were cut out. It's quite a, a, lo a longer story when you read it in the original. If you want to have a look um, later on, it's 2 Samuel 18, and it's quite, quite a story. My daughter has been studying poetry at school. And a couple of days ago, she told me about a poem uh, that she'd studied. And when my daughter or any of my children tell me something voluntarily that they've studied at school, I listen because it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Normally we just get a grunt. Uh, but she told me about this poem. It's called Nettles uh, by Vernon Scannell. I don't know if it's familiar to any of you. I didn't know of it. And it's about an incident when the poet's three-year-old son fell into a bed of stinging nettles, which is obviously a very painful experience for the lad. And having comforted his son, the poet went out and he furiously cut down all the nettles and burnt them. But he ends the poem, in two weeks, the busy sun and rain had called up tall recruits behind the shed. My son would often feel sharp wounds again. Whatever the father does to prevent his son experiencing pain, he can't protect him completely. There will be other hazards which the father has missed or which he cannot remove. And both that poem and today's reading tap into the same difficulty that all loving parents will face. However much they want to protect their children from suffering, they simply can't. Their child will inevitably encounter difficulty, grief, suffering. 
And in some ways or others, or others, the parents will experience the grief of their child's suffering. And the deeper the love, the greater the pain. In the poem, the pain that the child encounters is relatively trivial, or seems to be. But given that Vernal Scannell fought in the Second World War, and given the military language he uses to describe the nettles, the poem also seems to evoke the suffering and the deaths of young men in war. Over the last few weeks, as US and British forces have retreated from Afghanistan, we've heard from the parents of young men who died in service there. Young men such as Corporal Jake Hartley, who died in 2012 at the age of 20. And his mother said this week, when they knocked on the door, I was just in shock. I just slammed the door when I saw them in uniform. I knew it. I had a really bad feeling that there was something wrong. I collapsed and I can still hear my cry, a scream like a cry. It's this experience of grief that lies at the heart of our reading today. Grief at the death of a child that the parent could not prevent. Superficially, of course, the story is about a civil war. David's son, Absalom, has been trying to take the throne. He's stolen the hearts of the people of Israel, the narrator says. David's had to flee Jerusalem, and he's conducting his defence from a town outside called Manahem, Mahanaim. And ultimately, Absalom is killed, as we've heard, and the uprising is quashed. So this is actually a military victory for David on that level. But that isn't the real story that's going on here. Because when the troops go off to battle, the king orders his commanders to be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake, he says. And as readers or as listeners, it's at that point that we sense that something tragic is going to happen. Because that's a strange thing, isn't it, for a king to order. It's a bit like saying to Adam Peaty, you go off and win your race, but make sure you let your opponents go first. Being gentle with the leader of the enemy force isn't something that the military commanders would have been accustomed to doing. And so it proves as soon as Joab finds Absalom in a vulnerable position, he has him struck down. And David's best efforts at protecting his son are ultimately fruitless. And that's the real story that's going on. Because the story comes to its climax, not when the battle is won. Uh, In fact, we hear very little of the actual battle. It doesn't even come to a climax when Absalom is killed. It comes to a climax when David is finally told of Absalom's death. 
And there are lots of plot devices that the narrator puts in to delay and delay that moment when finally he hears and then he pours out his grief. Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. Oh, Absalom, my son, my son. To me, this narrative brings to mind somehow the Olympic cauldron from the Olympic Games, the Tokyo Games. You can tell I've been watching a lot of the Olympic Games this week, can't you? Uh, if you've somehow managed to miss the coverage, uh, the cauldron is a little bit like a giant flower. It's got layers of petals around it with the fire raging inside. And in this narrative, there are lots of things going on, a bit like the petals around the outside. The situation of civil war, Absalom getting stuck in the tree, the conversation of Joab with the soldier, uh, the race between two people to take the news to the king, which uh, wasn't in our reading today. But underlying the whole narrative is David's love for his son, and his pain that he is in conflict with him, and his desire to prevent harm happening to his son, and ultimately the blazing fire of his grief for his son. And at that moment, he's utterly devastated and shockingly unrestrained in expressing his grief. He wishes that he could have prevented it. If only I had died instead of you. So the real civil war isn't going on on the battlefield. It's going on in David's heart. Most of us can identify to some degree with a sense of internal torment caused by loss, and by regret, by grief. I'm learning that there is some grief within the history of our church. Some of us will particularly identify with this story because of our pain and grief for a child or for someone else that we love or loved. The deeper the love, the greater the pain. Often the pain at a loved one's suffering is accompanied by heartache that we were unable to protect them. And perhaps a wish that we could have done something and perhaps feelings of regret. I've thought long and hard about where this story leaves us as we read it today as Christians. How is this story scripture for us? What is God saying to us? And I think that a really important thing about this narrative is the attention it pays to David's grief and his pain. It, his pain isn't a footnote to the main event. It could have been a story about a civil war and about David's victory in battle. It could even have been a story about Absalom's foolishness in rising up. But it is not. It is a story about David's love for Absalom and his pain at losing him. 
And in the same way, your pain, your heartache, your grief, your regrets are significant to God. Sometimes we might feel slightly ashamed by what we feel, but God does not see it that way. To him, you and the wounds that you bear are important. They are the center of his attention. He wants us to tell him how we truly feel. He wants us to cry out to him, even if that means expressing our anger to God. He wants to hold us in whatever pain we feel. He loves us and he honours our grief. And I wonder if this is also a message for all of us, whether or not we have been parents, whether or not we can identify with the pain and the grief that David expresses. Because God is our parent. And if we can see David's love and his pain on behalf of his child as like the fire in the center of a blazing cauldron, then isn't God's love for us so much greater? We think that God loves us. We know that God loves us. We know it here. And sometimes it feels like a glib thing to say, God loves us. Yes, I know. I know God loves me. But do we really know that God loves us here? And I have to confess that I forget that God loves me here. I might know it up here, but I forget it again and again. I forget it here. And I forget that God's love burns for me like a blazing cauldron. Do we forget? It's in our human nature, isn't it, to forget and to stop trusting in God's love for us. To perhaps distrust his love for us. And we will each experience that lack of trust differently depending on our life experience and our psychology. But at its heart, we all experience that, that forgetting to trust, forgetting God's love. And our task, perhaps our most fundamental task, as we walk in the way of Christ, is to remember and to keep remembering to trust in God's love for us. Even when, and perhaps particularly when, we feel overwhelmed by pain, by things that didn't work out the way we hoped. Some of us may need particular healing, psychologically or spiritually. We may need to seek out that healing if we know it is preventing us from trusting in God's love as we might. But all of us need to look to the example of Jesus Christ, who showed us what it is like to respond to God as our loving parent. And all of us need the Holy Spirit to lead our hearts once again to our living God, to reveal that full passionate blaze of his love for us 
to help us realise it, to give us the full assurance of his love again and again. So we can come to him, not doubting that we are anything but beloved children of God. And so that we can talk to others about God's love for them in Jesus Christ, in the knowledge that it is true. St. Paul wrote a wonderful passage that I think sums up what I've been trying to express this morning. It's from Romans 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, he was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.